You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I'm your host, Jeff Wall, and uh, welcome you to another of our weekly podcasts for pharmacists and other healthcare professionals uh, trying to give you guys uh, some good information, some some practical information that you can use in your practices. Uh, again, I want to thank, um, I understand we've got quite a few listeners who, who've been gracious enough to, to give us a try, and I appreciate that. Please like us at wherever you're using or, or, or getting your podcasts and, 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 and give us a comment if you can. That helps us to grow and helps get the word out to more people about this uh, podcast. So um, those of you who've been listening for a while know that, that I tend to talk a lot, so I'm I'm always happy when we have a guest star that I can shut up a little bit and let them talk. So um, I'm very grateful to have my guest star, Dr. Kristen Meyer, who's a colleague of mine at Drake University, uh, uh, associate professor of pharmacy practice. Uh, her expertise is in geriatrics, and she's had a long and very successful practice at the Iowa Veterans Home in Marshalltown, Iowa. And she's uh, definitely an expert in, in, in all things uh, gerontology and geriatrics. And I've asked her to come on today to, to kind of hit the treetops talking about a subject uh, that I think we all know about, but what it's all kind of in the back of our heads, and it's a lot of times I think it kind of kind of falls to the bottom of the things we're dealing with, and that's anticholinergic drug burden in elders. And we know that this is a big problem. I mean, I know there's been studies out to the to the mid 1990s that showed that that uh, when you start dumping anticholinergic drugs and with uh, drugs with anticholinergic properties more and more on elders, you get more and more bad effects. And that's been you know validated now in multiple studies. Uh, we know that that older adults are particularly vulnerable to the average drug reactions associated with anticholinergic drugs. They tend to get more of the dry mouth, the dry eyes, the constipation, things along those lines. But even more so now, there's there's some evidence to suggest that high anticholinergic drug burden is associated with things like delirium. It's associated with decreased cognitive effect. Um, and and this, this as the uh, burden of, of drugs, the number of drugs goes up, that effect goes up and becomes more pronounced as patients get older as well. And so, um, Again, I, and I don't think that's that's you know that's that's news flash information that's going to be on CNN anytime soon. I think I think most prescribers are well aware of that. Yet we continue to prescribe meds for things like overactive bladder and and a lot of the psych meds we use and anxiety and and motion sickness and all sorts of stuff like that that that, that we're like, well, you know, we'll just put you on on this medication and and we don't I think always go through the the, the thought process of of you know, gee, is the benefit outweighing the risk in this particular patient. And I think that's that's something that, that I deal with. I've always been a bit of a, of a nihilist, and I think I think uh, uh, Kristen can, can might verify this. I've always been a bit of a nihilist when it comes to drugs for overactive bladder. I've never felt like they've worked all that well anyway. And it's I've always thought it was pretty funny that when you take a look at the American Urology Association guidelines for overactive bladder, they pretty much say, yeah, these drugs don't work that good. <laughs> <laughs> they actually say, you know, if, if at all possible, you should not use medications for overactive bladder, and yet we we com- continually seem to dump them on on elders. So, so uh, Kristen, again, welcome to the to the show. I hope that was a good enough introduction. Anything you want to add to that before we get to some questions? I thank you so much for having me, Jeff. Um, I am looking forward to spending this time with you talking about a topic that I'm really passionate about, and I would tend to agree with most of what you said about. Um, the the risks for our older adults and the concerns for um, maybe lack of efficacy of some of these medications that can cause some really re- you know very real side effects. 
Right, I agree. So, you know, you, you've done, you know, again, you're, you're an expert in this field and, and have done some research in this field. You know, what have you seen in the literature as far as the general amount or general number of patients who are elders who are on anticholinergic drugs? Yeah, it's highly variable, the reports in the literature, but I think it's safe to say that at least one in four of the older adults that you're seeing are taking an anticholinergic drug. Wow. Um, we'll get into, you know, um, uh, appropriateness here a little later in our discussion, but um, I think it's really important to focus on that cumulative burden. So when we look at older patients, at least a half of them are taking five or more meds a day. And wow. so that's where the burden, um, the, you know, the cumulative burden adds up. Um, furthermore, I think that our healthcare system, um, no gatekeeper for these patients. They need a primary care provider. They're seeing lots of specialists. Um, I call it too many cooks in the kitchen. Um, and yes. we really have a limited amount of information about how to safely prescribe medications for multiple chronic medication or conditions, and then information about how to stop these medicines. Right. No, I agree. And, and, you know, I've, I've, I've been fascinated with the data that's come out in the last 10 years. So uh, talking about deprescribing and, and I, you know, the problem of course is, is, as I've mentioned before to, to, uh, in the subject is, and unfortunately pharmacists don't get paid to stop medications, right? We, we, you know, the average community pharmacist gets paid when we fill prescriptions. So that's the, there's a, there's kind of a negative economic incentive there, uh, incentive there, I think, to, 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 to be an active uh, advocate for, for deprescribing. So, so in, in your, experience and from what you've read in the literature, I mean, again, in my view, it seems like overactive bladder drugs are big offenders. Are there other big offenders besides those that you've seen? Right. You're, you're absolutely right about the, your comment about starting and stopping meds. But I think the most important thing that I do every day is stop medications. You mentioned right. that I deal with older adults, um, some of them at the end of their life. So we've really got to consider risk and benefit. Um, I think it gets a little tricky when you're looking at which medications are the biggest offenders. There's lots of different sources that can guide you. Um, you not only have to consider medications that have antimuscarinic properties, but those with anticholinergic me metabolites um, and those with anticholinergic side effects. Mm -hmm. So I agree with your assessment about the overactive bladder drugs um, certainly tops my list of problematic medications. Um, and a very good example of a situation where you have to closely examine the risk-benefit relationship of that medication in that older adult. As you mentioned, I practice with a veteran's population, so uh, my perspective is a little bit different on use of these medications in, in men versus right. women. Right. And so um, I think that we've got to look at that. I just worked on a case this last month, a gentleman with... Um, you know, BPH, prostatectomy, and resultant incontinence. And so, you know, we're looking at quality of life for him, um, trying to prevent a level of care change. So, so far he's independent. We want him to stay that way. Incontinence affects that. But also this medication's influence on his cognitive ability affects his independence. So it's really a balancing act with those medications. Right, right. I agree entirely. So that, that's very interesting. I, as, an, as kind of a sidebar, you know, we, I, I think a, a, a source of potential anticholinergic side effects with drugs we tend to forget sometimes are some inhalers, you know, and I, oh. there's been 
there's been some reports, you know, and again, we, you know, we should definitely be using these medications appropriately, but sometimes I wonder, you know, we, you know, some person's getting duoneb, so they're getting ipotropium and no one told them to stop that. So they're also getting teotropium or some other long acting muscarinic agent. Um, I wonder how much that kind of, you know, adds to the anticholinergic burden of elders as well. Oh yeah, you're right. Um, when we put medication on top of medication, um, certainly that's increasing the risk. You know, you think about route. Well, we should have less anticholinergic effects with, you know, with that um, inhaled route versus an oral route. But still, it's it's all about that cumulative burden. Right. Um, other medications. You know, we, we, we want to look for alternatives when possible. So you're using a tricyclic antidepressant. Can you use a, a less anticholinergic alternative? And there's, um, I don't want to discount um, the problems that we see with over-the-counter meds. Oh, yeah. Uh, First-generation antihistamines, uh, they're also on my list of um, medications that are very concerning. Uh, your patient thinks that just because they can get it at the drugstore that it is safe, and right. it may not be safe for them. Yeah, I, 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 and that's one I sometimes I forget as well. And I, I probably shudder to think how many, you know, people in their seventies are living independently or, and many and insomnia is really common and uh, a problem in that population. That's like, Oh, let's take some Benadryl, you know? So yeah, it's like, maybe that isn't the greatest idea. So, so, uh, you know, I, I work in a hospital where we have a children's hospital in the hospital. And so, you know, one, one, one of the, one of the mantras of pediatric pharmacy is, you know, chill, you know, children are not just small adults. Well, you know, uh, elders are not just older adults, right? They're, they're, they have some pharmacodynamic uh, effects and pharmacokinetic changes in general. So you want to kind of get us up to speed on, on you know, what, what the literature says as far as, you know, how elders handle the dynamic and kinetic properties of medications? Sure, sure. So as you mentioned, yeah, we've got pharmacokinetic changes of aging in play, um, decreased renal elimination of medications, but more so than that, it's that pharmacodynamic effect that we don't think about. So pharmacodynamics is, is looking at these medications and their additive effects on CNS function. So it's really hard to predict exactly what's going to happen to an older adult with regards to their response to an anticholinergic med and the pharmacodynamics of that. But what the way I like to look at it is if I see a, an older adult with dizziness, drowsiness, lethargy, confusion, delirium, increased falls, then I'm going to be looking for anticholinergic drugs that may be causing that problem. So the old adage of any new problem is, is probably a side effect of a drug until proven otherwise. Right. And that's that's uh, that's pretty interesting because I think I think that that, you know, well, pharmacists, especially in, in the things kind of you and I do, we tend to be kind of detectives when someone comes and says, hey, he's having a lot of problems he wasn't having before. Could you take a look at his medications? And and yeah, I think I think, you know, that, that should be a, a good a good mantra, especially in, you know, in the very elderly is, you know, hey, they just had a new medication started. Well, I just don't understand it. They've declined so quickly. Well, maybe that's something we need to look at. So um, right. there's there, lots of oh. there's lots of tools to um, assist the clinician in assessing anticholinergic burden. Um, you've got anticholinergic burden list, the anticholinergic risk scale, anticholinergic drug scale, right. anticholinergic load scale. Are you seeing a, a trend there? Uh, <laughs> and the widely known publication, the Beers Criteria, it, they, they included um, lots of information about anticholinergic drugs and alternatives. 
Right. Do you, I just as, as, a, as an expert, Phil, is there any one scale you like to use? Because you're right. It seems like there, there's been several validated scales out there. And and if there's a if, if you had to recommend a simple scale for the you know average, you know, boots on the ground pharmacist to, to use, that doesn't take a lot of time, maybe even, is even online. Is there one you would recommend? Um, you know, that's a great question. I think for me, um, it really goes down to keeping it patient specific. Okay. So um, I, I guess I resist putting numbers to things. Um, I look at, okay, this patient is exhi exhibiting this problem, and here are two or three medications that are commonly implicated in causing this problem. Could we Got reduce it. the medication? Could we find an alternative? So honestly, I don't get into um, the objective numbers, assigning numbers to the risk, but I look at the patient, are they having the problem? Because you can have appropriate medication use. I mean, again, going sure. back to the gentleman with the overactive bladder medication, it's way more important for him to not have an incontinent episode when he goes on the bus to the store than the, the risk, I mean, for cognitive impairment for him. And that's his choice at this right. point in time. So um, for me, I have a lot more success when I make the intervention all about the patient rather than um, the risk number. Right. So treat, treat the patient, not the number. I, I, I love that, Kristen. I really do. So. I get um, that right. rubbed off on me from you. Yeah, I think I think I think I think we both have uh, that's part of our mantras as well. So there's been there's been a lot of data out there. I think uh, looking at cognition and dementia. Again, we you know it'd be great to do a whole journal club maybe sometime down the road. But can you give us just like kind of a you know one or two minute summary on what what the literature has shown as far as anticholinergic drugs in elders uh, and particularly its effect on cognition and dementia and falls too if you have that. Right, right. So um, there's been several studies over the years that have hinted at the dangers of anticholinergic medications in adults, older adults. And, um, you know, that's been important to guide our conversations, but, you know, really nothing definitive. Um, mm -hmm. I think this last year, um, JAMA Internal Medicine, Coupland and colleagues published a very large nested case control study, 30 million persons. Wow. And that gave us a lot of additional information, um, you know, ammunition, I guess, if you will, to the argument that anticholinergic medications have very real risks when um, older adults are exposed to these medications um, and increasing their risk of dementia. Uh, they looked at a number of anticholinergic medications and their analysis showed that, you know, over time, this exposure, and it, and it wasn't a, a significant exposure. I mean, exposure to these anticholinergic medications was associated with the increased risk of dementia. Um, it, was, it was pretty definitive. Um, they, they, now, it's important to note that they weren't claiming these medications cause dementia. Right. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah. um, we, we certainly, it gives us pause. Um, the bladder medications that we've already mentioned were some of the biggest offenders. Um, so I really think for, with this medication, with this study, uh, it really just highlights the importance of decreasing exposure to anticholinergic medications when possible by either finding alternatives or deprescribing. 
Right. And I, I mean, that I read that paper, too. And, and you're right. I mean, you know, we'll probably, you know, there'll never be a randomized control trial, of course, that kind of proves this. But I mean, it, you know, when you have those kind of numbers and they did a pretty good job controlling for a lot of other things and, and still found this relationship between uh, anticholinergic drug burden and, and dementia. You know, I mean, you, you know, you, you're right. You can't say they cause it, but but certainly it, it, it come, calls into question in some cases, I think, as you pointed out, the, the risk versus benefits. So so to kind of wrap up, you know, you know, so, you know, what are some tips, you know, because, you know, you're lucky because I'm sure you have you have a you know great relationship with your physicians. And, and I'm sure when you say jump, they say how high, how would how would the average community pharmacist who maybe doesn't have as a greater relationship or is trying to do this over the phone or, you know, something along those lines? How, how what are some tips for them for deprescribing these medications? What you know, what, how can they approach the prescribers and talk to them about it or the families, too? Right, absolutely. Um, I've got a few ideas based upon successes and failures. Okay. Um, so, you know, there are some negative connotations with the word deprescribing. You know, your patient is going is is really thinking, or your or their family is thinking that you are giving up on them, that you're taking medications away, that you're just sending them out to pasture, or you know, um, waiting for them to die, and you just really don't want to treat their you know problems and complaints. Um, so I like to reframe it as reducing medication overload. Um, I think that is a a little better way to present it, and there is no better partner in that process than your patient. Um, so I think medication checkups are very important. Um, interacting with the patient, figuring out what's important to them um, through annual CMRs or hitting them at transitions of care, lots of opportunities for reducing unnecessary medications at transitions of care. Um, you've got to employ a shared decision-making process. Um, if I was to look at that profile of that patient that I mentioned, I would identify two or three unnecessary medications, but only through discussing with him what his goals were, it um, became you know, very apparent to me what we needed to do, and he was very aware of the risks. So making um, the patient aware of you know, the risks of medication use may help to persuade them to, to unload some medications. I think that, um, you know, that information at the point of patient care is, is very important. So again, educating your prescribing partners, educating our trainees about the importance um, of this problem, I think is, is paramount. Um, and also, you know, at the policymaking level, really raising awareness of policymakers and the public about the dangers of these medications and the importance of the pharmacist in that process. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, when you're looking at some of these CNS meds, I mentioned uh, minimizing the dose. So I think that you can have a lot more success in deprescribing when you taper these medications. And I have a lot more acceptance of my recommendations from patients and prescribers when I say, let's trial a reduced dose of this medication, offering them reassurance that we can go back up if things don't go as expected. But I just want to offer reassurance to them along the way that 
we want to use the lowest dose of this medication possible to control um, whatever condition we're treating. Um, alternatives. I think that it's important to educate ourselves on less risky alternatives to some of these anticholinergic medications or medications with anticholinergic side effects. We're talking about antidepressants. Mm -hmm. We're talking about antipsychotics. Um, and in the case of overactive bladder medications, especially when you're talking about female patients, I think that there are some non-drug measures that are more effective than medications that we often overlook. So um, I'm not ever going to have a drug interaction with a, with a non-drug alternative like physical therapy. Right. So I want to you know, emphasize those other options. And I already mentioned OTCs. I think we have to be very diligent about finding out what our patients are taking, educating them on the harms of use. So um, it's important to ask the patient in open-ended questions about their over-the-counter medication use uh, so that we can get the full picture of what's going on and, and help to find some alternatives. There's, there's several resources out there about deprescribing that really take you through a, a framework or you know a decision tree, if you will, of reducing medications. Again, I think it's important to think about tapering um, these CMS meds and then finding alternatives. Excellent, excellent. Well, Chris and I really appreciate your time with this. And and again, it's obvious your your expertise is 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 very much on display. And and I'm, I really appreciate you know your review of, of this ver of this important problem and a problem as we've said that that kind of goes over the heads of a lot of people. And so I, I really appreciate your expertise and 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 uh, your tips uh, for for the boots on the ground pharmacists out there who are trying to do the best thing they can for their patients. So thank you very much for for taking the time to to, to be with us. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it. So um, we're going to kind of wrap things up. Um, as always, this is uh, our, our Game Changers Clinical Conversations is sponsored by CE Impact. They have a wealth of uh, information and CE programs for pharmacists, and uh, I encourage you to check them out, including CE for, for this program. And so uh, we're going to let them talk a little bit about uh, what some of the great programs they have going on here now. Hey, Pharmacy Podcast Nation, are you tired of searching for meaningful CE? CE Impact brings learning to you through a continuing education subscription service. That's right, no more searching. It comes directly to your inbox, and it's really good. Subscribe today at ceimpact.com to receive a hot topic CE course on the first of every month. You'll also receive bonus content and tools to implement your learning. Plus, participate in a live journal club, continuing education on the second Wednesday of every month to keep up on evidence-based information. If you want to keep searching for good CE, you might or might not find it, and you'll waste a lot of time searching. Or you can sign up today to get CE Impact's subscription service and have all the CE you need when you need it. It's that easy. Once again, go to ceimpact.com and sign up for the subscription service. Don't waste another minute. ceimpact.com. Let the learning come to you. 
So that wraps it up for, for this edition of Game Changers Clinical Conversations. Again, I want to thank my, my guest, uh, Dr. Kristen Meyer, for some excellent uh, information on this important topic. Um, again, you know, any questions, uh, let us know. And any ideas for future topics, let us know. But until next time, this is Jeff Wall saying, time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. Take care.